creeds and criticism meet. Split Frame of Reference Podcast. All right, and welcome back to the Split Frame of Reference Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Allison. And Nolan is here with us. Say hi, Nolan. Nolan is our special guest today. He's going to do the whole episode. You'll hear crying and some babbling and an occasional word. Yep. Or if he's really, really naughty, he'll grab the mic and you'll hear a loud thud, probably followed with a few naughty words, at least in baby, you know. Really, he just screams mommy. Basically. He's he's been teething as of late, and uh, we've also been trying to sleep train him, and it's been heartbreaking to watch him in his crib, reaching his hands out and crying, mommy. Yep. Um, I just... Yeah, we don't believe in, I guess, just leaving him there, so I stay in there and comfort him yep. right now, but we don't, yeah, we're trying to get him to learn that we're not going to just pick him up every time he cries. Yeah. So every parent knows what it is like. So yes, we are going through that, so send extra prayers out to both of us and to him uh, during this time. Oh, and so, let's see, how are you doing? Okay, so today, uh, let's see, uh, well, what, for, first, what are we drinking? Drinks, yes, we have not done drinks in a while and it should surprise no one that what we are drinking today nick what are you drinking i am drinking coffee with milk and cinnamon and turmeric oh gosh i'm just drinking coffee and yeah wow well i you know I, we, we're parents we got to keep the immune system and the antioxidants and all the all the inflammatory stuff out. yeah sorry sorry mike we, we we need it like we're not addicts we just can't function in life without it and whenever we don't have it that's all we think about and you should join us. It's great. Everyone's doing it, Mike. Right. Everyone's doing it, Mike. Yeah, obviously. You know, Mike does everything that everyone does. All Mike, right. Mike Bird, everyone, it's a coffee connoisseur, just his, to bring that back. His favorite thing is coffee-flavored coffee. Like, the coffeeer the coffee, the happier Mike is with his coffee. So Especially if it's coffee-flavored beer right here. Yes, coffee-flavored beer is the best. And so, uh, that is what we are drinking today well no nolan is drinking uh something as well so yes nolan, <laughs> nolan has his beverage of choice right here as well yes you do some milk all right yeah oh anyway that's what we've been doing if you're wondering where we disappeared to and we had a baby there we go we you have heard him come on a couple times but we've gotten very little sleep he's smiling at me right now he thinks Super this is cute. funny all right so all right so our our roadmap for today uh, rather than just jump into a, a passage that a lot of people like to proof text, we kind of wanted to do a two-parter where we focus on the bigger context of the chapter as a whole and read it just verse by verse together, go through it, and see what it might say to us and how it might prepare us for what follows because we want to avoid grudamite proof texting for any sort of view. Yeah, so essentially we're going to do a two-parter uh, for Colossians 3. Uh, the one everyone likes to zero in on is wives submit to your husbands. Dang right. <laughs> but we're going to start with, you know, fancy this, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And then next episode, get into what's commonly called the household code. 
and other stuff like that, as well as some other stuff coming up in the future. And we'll do um, for that one three eighteen through four one. Yep. Um, so it's going to be the next one's going to go straight into wives submit to your husbands and slavery and all the fun things to give you a little bit of a uh, reason what that Nick and I actually love these passages. Uh, mm. So today's was actually a big part of Nick and I's wedding. Not, uh, we had, not the wife submit to your husband. No, 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 we no, didn't no. do that one. No, no. Uh, Colossians, the earlier part of Colossians 3. Yep. And um, actually there's an inscription on your ring too, isn't there? Yep. I have the uh, the Bible verse. I believe it's, oh gosh. Colossians uh, 3, uh, 14. 3, 14, yep. Yeah, so we we actually take, we take these passages very seriously. We mm-hmm. think uh, mutuality is taught in them. And we also read Ephesians 5 yep. as well. Yep. Um, with verse 21. Obviously, because we are good theologians and know our Bibles. That's right, baby. Yep. And then, interestingly, uh, the other one, uh, the one that people either love to bring up or like to pretend doesn't exist, uh, was my first, <laughs> it was the first uh, sermon I preached in a church. Oh, yeah. was on this passage. So the Colossians 3.18, the, the wives? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my dad uh, was going, going, my dad was a pastor. Uh, he was going, I forget why he was leaving, but he said, okay, you can pick up wherever. I said, I'll just pick up. He said, he said, I could pick anything, but then I said, I'll just pick up wherever you leave off. And he goes through, you know, the whole, whole, the whole book of the Bible. Yep. And he just so happened, this was an accident, left off on this passage. Yep. So it was actually perfect because I was, that was kind of an expertise of mine, but mm-hmm. um yeah, so I was like, here you go, Allison. Easy first sermon. <laughs> yep. Easiest first sermon you'll ever preach. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and there's another aspect as well. Uh, that we'll cover, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's very um, pertinent and relevant to our kind of modern political kind of climate inside the church and outside the church. And uh, because we believe scripture is relevant to our daily lives, and that includes ethics and thought patterns and paradigms and all that sort of stuff, we think... This, this this verse has a lot more to say about where we are as a church and as a country and all that sort of stuff. Uh, oh, there we go. Yeah, obviously when we're recording this now, we've had uh, just a violent rush of rioting on the Capitol. Um, there's been violence prior. Uh, lot, lots happening. Lot, lot, a lot has happened. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, a lot of us in California are still... Um, on complete lockdown as yep. well, so it it's an interesting time. Yeah, and so we we think this passage has a lot more to say uh, on that sort of uh, issue, and so we'll we'll cover things like that. So our first section for for today is we'll go section by section. Uh, I got him. He's fine. He's bouncing around. He's happy. Here, let's see if we'll feel. Right, so we're going to focus on Colossians chapter three verses one through four. And uh, it begins, as Paul is wont to do, with a therefore. And By if, the way, if Nick sounds like he's bouncing, it's because he's trying his very hardest to balance a baby. Yeah. Rather uh, than just cave in and give him to me. Yeah, a baby who is very energetic right now and very Yes, and you are the baby. Yes. You are the bug. All right, so the very first thing we see is one of the best things you can see with Paul is, uh, is what we call an if then construction. Yeah, why don't you read it? All right, reading then. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will then you also will appear with him in glory. And so, obviously, there's a ton packed into there that may not seem immediately relevant to the evangelical gender debate, um, but I will argue uh, that there is so much here for us. And so, first off, we need to remember that Paul is not writing to men exclusively. He's writing to a whole church, a church in Colossae. And last I checked, as Nympha is directly addressed in Colossians 4, uh, probably the leader of the house church, which means she probably would function as a bishop in some and sense. Obviously, in verse 18, wives immediately. Yep. And so plenty of not just men. You know, he's not just addressing guys who carry around their ESV and smoke cigars in their local shops. So this is written to everyone. And so Paul begins with, if then you have been raised with Christ. Now, we could spend the whole time talking just about that one clause. But when you... Oh, my goodness. You are so adorable and cute. He's very excited right now. He's very excited. He knows we're doing stuff. So, let's see. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is is seated at the right hand of God. So, already we see uh, the church being spoken to as almost in some sense having been raised with Christ because we are participants with Christ. And because of that, we are told to seek, uh, which is a word that's commonly used in Paul. Uh, for being zealous for something or pursuing something or something like that, seeking things. And it has kind of this almost epistemological mindset where you're kind of told to pursue something that is good. You know, so it has an ethical component. And so Paul believes here that both men and women are are ethical agents and who have both been raised with Christ. And so Christ already, at the head of this passage, stands as representative of, of us, of, of men and women. And so Christ is at the center of everything here, which is really cool. And Christ himself is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so there's already a relation, a relationality there. There's already a participatory element there where we as men and women together uh, participate in being, quote, raised with Christ. And so that's kind of verse one. And I think that's paradigmatic for kind of what follows. Um, and Paul kind of recapitulates this a little bit in verse two, where he says, and I, uh, he says, uh, set your minds on things that are above. So that fronao verb, uh, often is used in the Philippians correspondence, uh, to have the same mindset or thinking set or mindset of Christ. And so, um, there is an ethical component. So again, men and women together operate as active intentional agents which is really cool because paul is essentially affirming men and women as thinkers and uh people who are capable of virtue which is really cool and of course the, not the things and not things that are on earth we might characterize that in pauline terms as things that are set on the flesh things that are set on uh, uh of the world of sin and death rather we are to set our things on life you know because christ after all we've been raised with christ as verse one says And so that's verses 1 and 2 in a nutshell. Then verse 3 kind of makes this point uh, proleptically. For you have died or been put to death, or you've died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so there's already some interesting there, but life being not merely a biological component, uh, but much more, you would say, a spiritual or we might even say an eschatological component. So there's eschatology and ethics are very much bound up here. And this is, of course, again, to men and women. And I, I love the, the verb, um, 
Kaputo, uh, right? Uh, to hide or to conceal, or I would, you might have this image of being hidden with Christ in God, almost an image of storehouse. You know, your your life is kind of like a harvest, and Christ is the storehouse where you are uh, kept. And I think um, the fact that the life we are given now, which includes bodily life, which includes our, our, our reality as embodied creatures, as men and women together who bear the image of God, an image, of course, as Allison will talk about, plays a big part in this epistle. Um, this tells us that Christ doesn't just value our spirituality, he values our very existence as embodied creatures. And uh, God is involved in this as well. So you see almost kind of a 1 Corinthians 11 verses 11 through 12 kind of idea. All these things come from God, you know, kind of idea. Yeah, do you think there's a vindication component here too where Mm -hmm. your life's hidden and then revealed in glory? Yep, I think that's exactly what verse 4 says. So when Hotan uh, Hakristos, right, when the Messiah uh, appears, who is your life, and then all of you will appear with him in glory. And so glory, of course, is eschatological. It's apocalyptic. Um, The appearance has kind of an idea of the unveiling. So there's an apocalyptic element here. But what I love about this passage right here in these first four verses is you have a very strong affirmation that ethics cannot be pulled apart from eschatology. You don't don't just do ethics on Sunday. Your entire embodied life is ethics. How you live in Christ has an ethical component. And so, yeah, that's verses one to four painting kind of a a broad eschatological ethical framework for us. one that includes men and women involved as ethical agents of virtue and in Christness. So it's it's a really great, uh, as it turns out, Pauline theology is theology for both men and women, not just for guys with their ESV Bibles. <laughs> um, interestingly, I am using an ESV, I believe. ESV? Yes, I am. Um, so, I mean, something to consider in the broader context of this, of this pa- you know, beyond this passage, there's... For instance, 2.16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you, and talks about questions of food and drink and asceticism. Mm. Yeah. And essentially you have people that have all these outward signifiers of goodness, holiness, uh, morality, Mm. but I think what Paul's trying to get at is that doesn't make someone any of those things. Yeah. And... I think part of the issue with the Christian community, especially one that's mixed between Jews and Gentiles, Mm -hmm. is that not everyone's going to have that outward signifier, per se. Um, And yet there's, in in that sense, they might be hidden. Hmm. Yeah, and there's also something, too, to think about. Uh, Paul's kind of response to a lot of the the folks in the very previous verse, we didn't cover verse 22, or chapter 2, verse 23, but something along the lines of kind of these rules or regulations, or we might say contra teachings or anti teachings, um, have kind of this appearance of wisdom and kind of promoting this self regulated, self made religion, uh, asceticism, but also even abuse of the body, or abuse or harsh treatment, I, I would say, abuse of the body. Um, and But they lack any value or, or in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, which, of course, my first thought is if anyone's been keeping up with anything that's been on the news with certain apologists uh i'll should i name the name yeah yeah ravi zacharias being one uh read christianity today's article on him if you want more on that but it just kind of it this is not just an indictment on the people out there paul very clearly thinks this uh, this ethical thing kind of applies to everyone and the fact that people are very happy in the church to kind of hide behind this sort of stuff is an indictment on them as well on us as a church 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, uh, for instance, like, uh, 2.8, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, there's other religions also in view, but, you know, a lot of this has to do with just how do we conduct our lives mm -hmm. in ways that truly are, you know, or truly is in Christ. Yeah. Um, and again, I think the one of the big problems that church has I would say is Jesus. Yeah. At the end of the day, we want to hold on to protecting, quote, the ministry, you know, at whatever cost, whether yeah. it's sacrificing, oh, I don't know, just a few people that got, you know, in that other case, yeah, you know, and abused by sexually abused or human, possibly even human trafficked. Um, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, like, who, who are we serving? And we can hide behind, we're doing it for the sake of the ministry or whatever we want, whatever rationalization. But at the end of the day, are we um, living the life of Jesus? Yeah, and, and let's not forget, too, that all the fullness of divinity or deity that Jesus was dwelt in bodily form. Yep. So there's a bodily or somatic reality to these sorts of ethics here. It's not just head ethics. It's whole person ethics. And that, of course, applies to sex and sexual immorality, yep. but also in terms of abuse and pain and mental disorders and how people are, go through all those sorts of things. So it's a very holistic passage. Paul is a very, I would argue, pastoral thinker here because this is formation. This is transformation. You want, he wants us to live in a more Christ-centered way and not just, uh, just taking the easy boxes or the easy way out. Yeah, so um, approaching 3, 5 through 11, um, I would say... Our central theme is, in, in my opinion, is participation in Christ, our life force, hmm. kind of what's animating everything about us. Doing so entails death to other things. And maybe, I think some of sometimes our analogies don't quite work for some of these concepts. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe I'll give a couple um, just to kind of try to explain some of this. So one could be, you know, an example of investment, um, the state of your heart, uh, your true allegiances, you know, whether you are in Christ will be directly reflected in how you act um, at the end of the day. Amen. So if you draw from life in Christ, your heart's disposition and actions will be in Christ. And, and I'd say even if no one recognizes this reality in the moment, uh, maybe you don't fit in with those around you. So I would say, like, especially with chapter two about not submitting to strict regulations, you know, don't touch this, touch this kind of thing. These out, again, back to these outward signifiers are not what make you holy or godly. Hmm. Um, but again, it's, I, I think using that investment example, um, another one from a book that I've just loved reading, I don't know if I've mentioned it yet, um, is called The Labor of God. The Labor and, of God, okay. Yeah, it's by Thomas Andrew Bennett. And I would recommend definitely looking at this. Hmm. Um, he, the, the, the subtitle for the book is The Agony of the Cross as the Birth of the Church. Nice. The agony yeah, of the exactly. cross as the birth of the church. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes uh, thinking things strictly in terms of uh, you have a debt, it was paid off, doesn't quite capture always what's happening in the Bible. Hmm. Um, so this idea that even like pain and suffering and other things can be part of a process for birthing the kingdom. Yeah. So again, all this to say, like, there, there's, there's this interesting, like, trade-off here, like, where it's not... I think sometimes we separate what we decide to abstain from and the good that we do from the work of Christ too much. 
Mm. Um, and there's something to be said for doing that in, you know, categorically at categorically at times. But at the same time, there's this connection that I think we oftentimes miss out on. Mm. Um, so just keeping that in mind. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read 3, 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Wow. <laughs> so there, there you go. It's, if you're alive in Christ, by extension, these other things are put to death. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of, it's not, you can't have, in, in some ways you can't have both. And as we yeah. know, sometimes the reality of both lives in us sometimes. But yeah. the idea is that if you are in Christ, these other things will be put to death. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes it's a process, but unfortunately, I think part of the problem is we've um, separated them so much out that people really truly think that kind of, oh, well, Jesus died for my sins. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone sins. You know, it just yeah. so happens that I'm, I don't know, covering up an abuse scandal or, yep. you know, being abusive or, you know, any number of things. But, yeah. you know, it's okay. Jesus died for my sins. Yeah. Everyone's a sinner. The death of Christ becomes whitewashed. Yeah, I mean, and doesn't, like, Paul address this elsewhere? Like, you know, maybe we can sin more so that grace can abound more? Like and his response is essentially the Mike Bird, hell no. No, no, that's <laughs> Richard Hayes. Richard Hayes said Paul's response is hell no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, no. The answer is no. Yeah. That, no, 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 no. Um, oh. In the words of, <laughs> that would be John Golden, Golden Gate. Yeah. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Um, but, no. yeah. No! So, you know, going to verse five, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple of things that are, you know, mentioned sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness and greed. Um, sexual immorality, I believe that's porneia. Um, you can kind of go to Leviticus 18 for that. Um, and then I would say, too, um, maybe check out galatians 5 19 through 23 and first timothy 3 1 through 13 as well hmm. okay all right so you might want to check to uh, scott mcknight's commentary the letter to the colossians uh, oh. a lot of you know him uh, he's an egalitarian you'll get a good egalitarian reading of colossians mm-hmm. and i like how he worded um, a commentary on sexual morality on page 304 in his commentary uh he says the specifics of porneia were shaped by the Torah, not by what was deemed unacceptable by the Romans and Greeks. Furthermore, Paul is here not simply prohibiting generalized unacceptable sexual intercourse, but the more precise listing of sexual sins in Torah. If the Roman world sexuality was shaped by themes of dominance, status, and indulgence in all directions, for Paul it was shaped by holiness, love, and fidelity. Yep. So again, part of um, this section on sexual morality and you know again passion and covetousness it's it's very status laden mm-hmm. and i think um maybe even more i would say officially so in the roman world yep. greco-roman world than yep. even for us sex is what you did to someone else to show you who you were and who they were yeah that's that's, that's a good way to put it uh, <laughs> and interestingly too uh 
especially, you know, all this is, co you know, connected to greed and idolatry specifically. And so I found that kind of interesting. Hmm. And in verse uh, six through seven, we have this kind of understanding that like wrath is the inevitable consequence. And I would consider to like, it's not just a list of don't do this and bad things will happen if you do. There's kind of a lot of people think there's that understanding of Romans 1, 18 through 32, where sometimes God gives you exactly what you want. Right. Um, and so it's kind of a lot of a lot of this can be put down to avoid things that snatch you away from the from like who you should worship and desire. Mm -hmm. So it's where are your desire, where is your worship and desire directed? And then also followed later, uh, what causes divisions in the church? And mm -hmm. again, a lot of this is all going back to a question of worship and how you treat others, you know, in the image of God is connected to who you worship. Yeah. So um, maybe another way to put it is um, actually by Jesus. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. Matthew 6, 21. Mm -hmm. So... All right, so uh, put them all away. Um, this is very baptismal language of mm -hmm. putting on and putting off. Yep. Um, and I actually, I'd like to kind of um, bring in another aspect here um, of this idea of being clothed with Christ or something that you put on and off. Um, it kind of reminded me a bit about a parable of Jesus where you have um, all these people are invited to the wedding feast. Mm -hmm. And of course he goes for the outcast to bring in. And at the end you see, you realize there's someone there at the wedding feast that's not wearing the wedding clothes. Yep. And you know, it approaches, Hey friend, where's your wedding clothes? Mm -hmm. And again, he's, he's not going to put them on. So, you know, the, the, the reaction seems harsh, cast him out into outer darkness and all these things. And I think if you can, Think of it in terms of essentially someone wants all the trappings of the kingdom without actually putting on Christ or putting on the things of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, I think, a bit of the analogy that's also applicable here. Yeah. But, you know, for us, it's these are the way you put on Christ is you take off things that you formerly did. So it says, put them all away anger, wrath, malice. Uh, so malice in BDAG is mean-spirited or vicious um, attitude or distortion. Slander, also you could say blaspheme is here. Mm -hmm. um, obscene talk, lies. <laughs> so a contextual connection maybe for blaspheme especially is um, harming people as kind of a, def a defilement or um, a religious sin. Mm -hmm. So yep. again, like slander is not something that God takes lightly at all. Yep. Um, Jesus said constantly, how you treat others, especially the least, is how you treat him. And this really shouldn't surprise us with the image of God language all throughout the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, lies. <laughs> you can think of Ephesians 4.25. Um, I think a lot of the problem we have, I think, as believers is we have this, like, rote list that we've reduced from even something more multifaceted in the Ten Commandments themselves of Mm -hmm. Things that you can't do, um, but we try to get God on technicalities. Well, God, I didn't technically lie. Yeah, I just deceived someone to cover up my sin, mm -hmm. but hey, like, I didn't technically lie, so I'm good. Yep. Or, you know, it's it for a good cause, you mm -hmm. know. It, and the thing is, like, we, we, can't, we can't fool God. Yeah, and that's the thing. God, and that's the thing about, you know, people talk about how difficult the God of the Old Testament can be. Yeah. Um, 
But the one thing I love about the depiction of God in the Old Testament is this God cannot be bribed. Nope. And God actually seems to take great offense at thinking that uh, you can buy God off. That's why God gets very angry at your sacrifices and all that sort of stuff. It's not just because of all this other stuff, but it's God is not a petty despot that can just be bought. And that's that's a, a testament to God's character. And that's part of the reason why this is this God is worthy of worship for Paul is that this God is a is a God of good character and a God of holy love. Yeah, and I think we do. Yeah, think like you know what you were mentioning earlier. Like, well, well, God, we we did it for the ministry. We did it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I was just playing a role. Yep. You know, I just following orders. You know, yep. I was supposed to do this or yeah, I, I stormed the Capitol because this was the best thing to do or I dehumanized that person on Facebook because for reasons and reasons and reasons and it's yeah. it's the ends I, I think God I think I think part of the problem is the ends justify the means and I think that yeah. is not a kingdom value for anyone and yeah. I think that's why God gets very angry at us because we think oh God but I did it for you and it's like God's just like I'm sorry what not and to paraphrase uh, an Old Testament prophet um, that thought never entered my mind, God would say. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, like writing's okay because, I mean, it, it follows my, you know, it, it's, uh, they're on my side. Yep. Yeah, like, you know, it's just, it, it's for the good of everyone somehow. Like, it's just, like, all these, like, I think we come up with tons of excuses and uh, we're, we're all pretty good at rationalizing. Let's put that, let's yeah. put it that way. Yep. All right, so what comes next is kind of this old self versus new self. And so I'll, I'll read um, 9 and 10 again. Um, so going off of what I said before, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then I'll read on here. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, barbarian Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So again, like we've got this idea of renewal in the image of the creator. Um, and interestingly, we've got the, ter- the term for self is anthropos. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, it's gender neutral, as we've covered before. Yeah. Um, you've got this radical new self or person. Um, and it, it's corporate. It's not just that you're this like individual that's separate, but you're a new kind of person. Um, and this is directly con- you know, connected to the image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, like, you, you do get to, in a sense, you know, which, which power do you want to direct your life? You know, are you what 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 class of, what what type of person are you going to be? Mm. Um, are you going to belong to this you know new life in Christ, or are you going to put that on? You know, if you do, you've got to take off this other stuff. Yeah. You know, throw it out. Um, well, it's like you can't bring your racism or your white supremacy into church. Yeah. Sorry, it's like the church is not a place where we baptize that sort of stuff. Just as an example. Yeah, and please don't harass people in the name of equality. Like, yep. you know, that's just that's just wrong on so many levels. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so the image of God. Um, there's a recognition and transformation. Um, it means that we see Christ's life in all people, so that mm-hmm. we we don't maintain this hierarchy or these divisions. So Scott McKnight, for instance, says there's sins of desire and disunity that entail the breakdown of fellowship. It breaks down the baptized fellowship. Basically, you've got Jews and Gentiles that um, separated themselves according to ethnic identities. Mm-hmm. Um, but the identity that ultimately matters uh, is not the empire's. Yep. It's not what the empire tells you you are or implies that you are. Yeah. Um, it's your status in Christ. Um, they're like we there's there's not an elimination of these distinctions, but the uh, the company hierarchy is what's yeah. abolished. 
Um, and so you've got the here, there is no. And so where's the here? It's in the image of the creator that all these things are. Um, and then what follows are some interesting, uh, some people say it, they're stereotypical terms. So barbarians, Scythians, this is, these are ways that people reduce other people. Yeah. You know, so racial slurs of any kind, or I would say some, sometimes some of these funny memes, um, they're ways to reduce people so that you're not dealing with people. You're, 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 you're dealing with a type. Yeah. You're no longer dealing with a person, you're, you know. You're dealing with an it. Yeah, you're dealing it with an it. It is Terran. It is this. Yeah. It is that. And that is just not at all what we see taught in this passage, or I would argue throughout the whole of Scripture, but especially in this passage, there is no it in Scripture. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. Like, the, the, the first thing you do if you want to do evil things to a person is you make them not a person. You make, mm -hmm. or you, you, would, you tie a symbolic connection to them. Mm -hmm. um, so I was talking to Nick, you know, before in, uh, like, for instance, in... Uh, you know, Nazi Germany, for instance, like, it, it's not like you, you can wonder, how can you do that to a person? Well, the thing is, you know, you see a, a guy, you know, with a yarmulke walking down the street, you don't see, you know, maybe an, another person like you who has, you know, a child, you know, you see ultimate evil, you see the threat to your society, you see the worst thing that, you know, can possibly exist, you see an infection. And if you see other people like this, you know, it gives you license to do whatever you want. You can silence them. You can shut them up. You can hurt them. You can punch them. You can um, take away their livelihood. Uh, you name it. Mm -hmm. And I would say in this passage, we're trying to get away from this these stereotypes. Yeah. Um, in the end, uh, Christ is the last word <laughs> uh, in verse 11. And yeah. this idea that Christ is all in all. And then Paul then moves into verse 12 and following where he mentions, uh, I'll, I'll read it. Uh, Put on then as Christ's, or rather God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So it's, it's a virtue list, not a vice list. Uh, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, of course, my, our first thought should be putting on language in verse 12, the very beginning. That obviously echoes Galatians 3, 27, where putting on of Christ and stuff like that, where it's their new creational elements. And what follows is um, this language of uh, compassion, belovedness, uh, heart, uh, meekness, patience, kindness, and all that sort of stuff. It, it's hard to kind of treat people as non-human when you view them as uh, with, with the heart of Jesus. And, yeah. and th that kind of transformation, I would argue, doesn't usually happen, usually, doesn't usually happen instantaneously. Um, and part of it is bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint, forgiving each other. And now, of course, this I don't think this is license for injustice or... Definitely not. Or, or um, uh, what's the phrase, being a doormat. Yeah, and he, frankly, Jesus called people out. Let's put it that way. Yeah. He called them out. Well, and, and you also have the phrase, you know, and, and the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. But that, of course, builds on what Allison was mentioning earlier, the idea of the Lord is watching. The Lord is watching. And how you treat people dictates to other people how you're using the image of God in yourself. Mm. How you act reflects upon the image of your creator. And um, I, I think a lot of us kind of, like to think of ourselves as being better than we truly are. And I think 
Paul here is basically saying, no, God is better than we truly ever know, but you are not better than you think you are. And that's the part of that's part of sin. We used to live in these sorts of ways, and many of us still do. It's a struggle. We we get it, and that's why God is infinitely forgiving. God is very kind and gracious. Um, and I think Paul's main point is in verse fourteen is of over all of these things, put on love. And that's not just um, uh, unit being united over. Oh well, you're a racist. It's fine. It's like well, no, because we love you and we love our black brothers and sisters. We need to do something about this. Yeah, we need to actually take you know white supremacy seriously. Yeah, but that doesn't involve running in the opposite direction and dehumanizing people. You will never help someone by dehumanizing them. That's right. You will, if you want to transform them, that means showing them the love of Christ patiently but firmly. And that love of Christ is a firm thing that and is a firm move it's uh martin luther king jr's day mm-hmm. uh today yep. and um he always spoke of like uh love builds yep and i i really found his i really found his sermons helpful when i was going through a difficult time and it was a time where i was being like thoroughly dehumanized i'll put it that way um to the point of getting a disorder mm-hmm. um and i don't know i just i found it to be true to the heart of scripture and try to remember it every time that the heart of God is to love is the one that builds down. Hate is the one that tears, tears people apart. Yeah. And so I think love will challenge, you know, love will call out the sin, but love does so in a way that's not trying to destroy the person. Um, and if you, uh, one of the like rules I kind of went by was if you're looking to like quote, put them in their place, You've lost it. Yep. You know, you've, you've lost the vision. They're an it. They're yeah. it to be put in their place. And that is, I mean, uh, God is big on showing signs and wonders and miraculous things, but God usually seems to kind of just come to people and go, you know what you did wrong. I mean, what's the famous phrase in, in the book of Revelation? Don't be afraid. But that doesn't, but that doesn't mean God is not scary. Well, and that's why they say don't be afraid. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, you see it's it's C.S. Lewis all over again. Is the lion safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. He's a lion, but he's good. Yeah. And and that kind of helps us rem- just reminding that this love, this 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 um this uh af- I wouldn't even say affection, this this active pursuit of holiness uh imaged in Christ is the thing that binds everything together perfectly. Yeah. And the problem is we tend to go, ah, truth-telling is what binds everything together personally. It's like, no. no, that is not true. Love is the truth that binds everything together. And I think for a lot of us, it's just easier to be a jerk to someone. Yeah, it is much easier. It's just easier to be a jerk to someone. I'm good. You're evil. I'm uh-huh. going to put you in your place. And Done. at the end of the day, no, no. We, and remember that the Lord forgave, has forgiven you for all the things that you've done. And let's face it, there are things we've all done that we don't, we're not even aware of how sinful and evil they are. And the, Lord has, and the Lord has forgiven us for that. And I think that should give us that, that spirit of humility, um, gentleness, and patience. Because if God is so wonderful and just and merciful, then we need to do our best to reflect that generosity towards others. And that doesn't mean giving evil a pass. Definitely I'm not saying not, that. Yeah. But it does mean seeking to help the person be conformed to the image of Christ. And that does not include violence, coercion, or power struggles over them. Yeah, and here's something to think about. People that are like that, um, that are, you know, maybe given over to racism or, you know, and sometimes not. Maybe it's not, it's some other form of, yeah, you need to be put in your place, you know, um, or especially sexism. Frankly, like, when you insist on being treated like a human being, um, 
they get mad. Yeah. Like, how dare you? Because they have that zero-sum hierarchical thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you really don't have to try to put them in their place. They're going to mm-hmm. feel like they, you know, that you're a threat to them because you'd like to truly exist as a person, you know. So yep. how dare you speak up? Mm-hmm. How dare you, you know, ask for, you know, being treated like a human? <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. I, I love it. Like, I, I like to, anytime I hear them talking, I like, and, and I'm not talking about anyone specific now. I just, I just kind of think like, how dare you before everything they say. And it just kind of like makes me smile and feel happy and warm inside. <laughs> I'm going to read three fifteen through 17 now. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the, and to be thankful will be very key, especially in our next passage. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Amen. And then after that, wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) We'll get there. Um, So, okay, verse 15, um, we've got the peace of Christ. And I take that as, I don't know if Nick would agree, um, he can give another spin if he'd like, um, as the genitive of source. Hmm. Um, it's the peace that comes from Christ. Um, it's not the peace of Rome that obey us, do what, what we say, and there's peace for all because there's uh, uniformity. Yeah, so regenerative of source meaning uh, Christ's peace. That yes. is Christ, the peace that Christ gives. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would take it that way. I think that's a, a legitimate reading. Yeah, and I mean, the if you, again, it's about where you draw your life from. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's going to be, you know, you're going to, you're, you're going to be doing the peace of Christ because that's who you are. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's mm-hmm. a important kind of distinction, even in terms of sin, where it's not just something that you have or don't have. Like, Jesus died for my sins, therefore I don't have any sin. You yeah. know, when you sin, it changes your person. You know, when you follow Christ, you know, it changes your person. Oh, Nick's, my, our baby's rebelling in his playpen. So Nick's going to go get him. So anyway, um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we need to become agents of peace, you know, through our connection to the life in Christ. Um, that means no preoccupations with status and putting others in their place. It means... <laughs> no false calls for unity that, of course, are more about power moves and, you know, getting our way, you know, and that's something that always comes up, I think, um, especially when you're talking about um, corrupt organizations or individuals. Um, the person that challenges them or suggests an alternative uh, is the one that's, quote, causing the disunity. And I know a lot of you guys, because you've written to Nick and I, um, have experienced this. You know, it, it's classic. You know, it's peace under me. Uh, peace is to rule, and our person is in Christ, and that means, you know, our person is directed, you know, towards peace. And so we try at every turn. Um, sometimes it means that just because we can do something, uh, we don't do it, you know, necessarily. Um, or we wait and see, you know, if there's a better, more peaceful route. And at the end of the day, we're, you know, be thankful. So um, I think. At the, I think at the end of the day that the, you know, having peace with others and our ability to say no to evil, um, you know, sexual sin or, or otherwise or desires misdirected um, comes out of our overflow of thanksgiving and our life in Christ. So it's, I, I can say this, like even at my own like lowest point, um, I, in another 
even though I felt quite lethargic um, all the time, I felt very full. I felt like I could give, you know, just um, grace and patience um, just because, I don't know, God gave me so much. And I think he gives all of us so much and more than we even know. And I, I really do believe that he works behind the scenes as well and he forms our character. And I think that's, you know, something in and of itself to just kind of bring forward um, to other people and how we move through the, the world. Okay, so in verse 16, um, we've got the word of Christ. Um, that word is logos. Um, and what we say comes out of Christ and his unity. So um, also I would um, check out the list on in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, because um, it's very similar. Let me go ahead and read this one and maybe I'll flip to Ephesians 5 and read it. Just, okay. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And then whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So now I'm going to go to Ephesians 5, and this is the passage before um, the one that gets commandeered for, interestingly, gender hierarchy. Okay, so here we go. Um, I'll start a little earlier. This is Ephesians 5. I'll do 15... Um, and I'll go to 22. Why not? Look carefully how then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for what is that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands. So there we go. There's your similar passage. Um, so I think there's a very strong uh, mutuality component there, um, to say the least. And it, you know, it's, it's how we should think in terms of even our admonishment to other people. And of course, the spirit is being spirit filled and all in thanks, you know, thankfulness. And then finally, you know, everything, word and deed, is done for God. And then we get back to our fun passage. Which will happen, of course, next time in next episode. But something I, I wanted to point out, too, is I love verse 15 where it says, and let the peace of Christ rule or maybe reign mm -hmm. in your hearts. Uh, so it means basically uh, Christ's peace, Christ's irenic, irenic kind of spirit yeah. must reign in your heart. It has it has complete control over your heart. It has the it, it dictates to us how we should even think and correspond to people. But even then, that's who you are. And yeah. after a while, it's not like you think, oh, should I be mean to this person? It, no, like you just like, of course not. Like you know, yeah. And and we're and this is the thing for men and women, barbarians, Scythians, slaves and free, and so on and so forth are called into one body. Oh yeah, sometimes wasn't there, um, aren't there some texts that add um, like male and female into the mix? Yep. Yeah, so that, that's a fun fact. So some texts, um, when they're listing, you know, they're you know neither like barbarian, Scythian, they, they list uh, male and female in there yep. too. Some of the later manuscripts do, yeah. yeah. So it's probably not in Paul's original, but, or at least here. All this to say conceptually, um, it was in people's minds to match it. Every woman hearing you were called into one body uh, would have taken that to heart, literally. Yeah. And the peace of Christ to reign in her heart uh, is something very, very strong. And not only that, and I pointed this out in a class uh, at Fuller under Mary Ann My Thompson, teaching one another, uh, teaching and admonishing one another. 
Uh, that teaching word is the word found in 1 Timothy 2. Uh, and so, and this is told to everyone to teach. Including to admonish. And, and cl- teaching and admonishing together. Yep. Uh, and is uh, something told to the women and slaves and all of them in the household. Yeah, imagine that. Like, slaves and women are told to teach and admonish. Each other. There, so there's a reciprocity there for everyone. Yeah, and who's the, who, who are the other people? Well, it's the flip side of the list. Like, <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. But I, I think we can't miss verse 15, 16, and 17 in giving, I would say, mutual, mutual con, uh, context to what follows in verses 18 and following. So the context is thoroughly egalitarian, uh, thoroughly strong in its affirmation of Christ at the center of our lives. And I think that's something quite, quite profound. Christ is in all means. Christ is everything to us. And if Christ is everything to us, then we do our, we, we dedicate our lives to living in Christ.